What's behind the growth of the Satanic Temple? Carla Broussard, next. Welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding, and defending your Catholic faith. I'm Cy Kellett, your host, and there has been some uh, news out about the growth of the Satanic Temple. So we thought we'd uh, tackle uh, the Satanic Temple, its teachings, what it is, and from a Catholic perspective, and give it a fair consideration, uh, especially if something's growing, we want to address it uh, and uh, see what we can accept about it and what we need to challenge about it. And so let me just give you a little of the news. In late September, in the Huffington Post, there was an article from this woman who describes herself as a suburban soccer mom about why she had joined the Satanic Temple. The headline was, The Death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg Pushed Me to Join the Satanic Temple. Uh, Jan- uh, Jamie Smith was her name, and she describes herself as a 40-something attorney and mother who lives in a quiet neighborhood with a yard and a garage full of scooters and soccer balls. Well, of course, that got a lot of attention. When soccer moms are becoming uh, Satan worshipers, that gets a lot of attention. Uh, In October, a midshipman over at the Naval Academy, who's a member of the Satanic Temple, got the Academy to provide a room uh, on campus for midshipmen who are interested in the Satanic Temple uh, to discuss the group. And then I've got this news story out of Seattle. Amid pious protests, Satanists conduct conduct a ritual on the Capitol steps. Congregants from the Seattle-based Satanic Temple of Washington drew a crowd of prayerful onlookers Friday as they hosted their, excuse me, hoisted their pentagram and conducted a Satanic ritual at the state Capitol Friday, March 6th. So what's up with the Satanic Temple? We thought we'd look in. uh, And the person to do that with is Carla Broussard, because the Satanic Temple, part of what they do is they make certain assertions about reality, and Carla loves philosophy, and philosophy is the tool for investigating reality. So here's what Carla had to say. Carl, well, thank you for doing this one with us after reading a lot about the Satanic Temple over the summer and whatnot with the various articles that came out and the various actions that they take. I thought this is a group we should uh, engage with their ideas a little bit, and sure. you are the guy for engaging with ideas. Well, it's my pleasure, Cy, to be with you to do that. I must admit, preface my remarks, I haven't done the reading and the research on the group itself as much as you have, but I am more than happy to engage with some of the tenets of their belief and the ideas. And they make that somewhat easy for us because they express, they publicly express their tenets. So that gives us something to uh, work with. So uh, the Satanic Temple, um, these are Satan worshipers like Anton LaVey and that kind of thing. And answer to that question is no. The cursory research that I did do, (laughs) uh, they explicitly say they are not the Church of Satan associated associated with Anton LaVey in the 1960s. Uh, and at, at least on the surface, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and believe what they're saying there on their website, they are not a group that's like dedicated to selling your soul to the devil and worshiping Satan and stuff. In fact, in their section on the FAQ, the yeah. Frequently Asked Questions, entitled, I want to sell my soul, get rich, join the Illuminati, etc. And then when you click on it, it says, please look elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, which is clever. Yeah, yeah. A and lot so, of what they do is clever. As a matter of fact, that's part of the yeah, appeal of it, I think. That's right. right. And they state on their website, you know, they view themselves as a group dedicated to encouraging benevolence and empathy, reject tyrannical authority, advocate pro- practical common sense and oppose injustice, and undertake noble pursuits of which to advance secularism, pluralism, and individual liberties. That's from their website. And uh, this is 
language that in general we're all familiar with. Uh, it's uh, language from Judeo-Christian tradition. It's language from the Enlightenment uh, uh, that m most people today are comfortable with. Language with modern culture. Yeah, yeah. Most people are comfortable with, although some of the things as as Christians and those who are formed in the classical perennial philosophy, we would take issue with a little bit. So the, it would be fair to say, though, that there's... We've got to think through it. The satanic temple doesn't believe in God or Satan. That is correct. Yeah. I think I think the label satanic temple, yeah. uh, my hunch is that based upon what you can see on their website, I think it's just to get people's attention and possibly even to try and expose... Uh, a double standard that some institutions might hold concerning which groups they're going to allow to voice their opinion. Right. So I, it seems as if the purpose of that label is to say, hey, if you're going to forbid us in the public square from voicing our beliefs because of the label Satan, right. well then, in order to be consistent, you're going to have to Keep ban Christians or Christians, yeah. right? And this or is Jews actually because they're using labels that are offensive to us, right? And they've had practical success with this in some places. I don't know that it's uniform across the country, but for example, there's just kind of a, a, a tradition of you know, in a lot of towns on the on the lawn of the of the you know the town buildings or whatnot, you put right. up the crash for Christmas. Yeah, there's little baby Jesus and all. Yeah. Well, then they come along and they say, "Well, we would like a, a statue of Baphomet, you know, their their satanic statue, uh, on the lawn." And then people get very like, "Well, no, we can, we don't we don't put Satan on the lawn." And they're like, "Well, you put baby Jesus on right. the lawn." And so it it has a kind of effectiveness. Yeah, it 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 gets to the root problem of how to allow supernatural revelation. Yeah. To govern your society. Right. <laughs> uh, it's sort of a sticky issue, and you're going to have a diversity of pin opinions among Catholics of, of how to go about that. Um, I, I, and so I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm still thinking through this myself, and I don't know where to land on each side, but some right. will argue that, objectively speaking, Satan embodies principles that contravene authentic human happiness, goes against with what we know is true in the revelation of Jesus Christ, and so therefore he ought not to be given any any attention whatsoever in the public square, right? And that we ought to in preclude these sorts of groups. But yeah. then others will argue, well, if you forbid these groups from uh, being in the public and being able to voice their opinion because of that label, well, then that's going to backfire because then the one in power could very easily stop Christians from voicing right. their beliefs and their views uh, because they, from the other side, could very well say, well, the Christian label embodies ideas that are offensive to us, namely that same-sex sexual activity is intrinsically immoral. Which we do. Or, yeah. that, that's right. Or that to have... a um, any, a, a, an attraction to same-sex sexual activity or an attraction to a member of the same sex in a romantic way is a disorder. That would be offensive to them. And so according to that logic, they would shut us down, right? right. So some would make that argument that it's a, it's a two-edged sword. But then others will argue, well, given Christian revelation is this source of authentic human happiness, leaders of a society, the very purpose of such governing is to guide and lead its subjects to authentic happiness, since Christian revelation reveals that authentic happiness, which precludes yeah. Satan and everything that Satan's about, right. then you, uh, leaders ought not to allow that. 
Now, in regards to like public property and putting up a credit, you know, you know, a nativity scene with yeah. Jesus, I think that that has to do with listen. If if the leaders of the country in this on public property or basing their governing principles on Judeo-Christian principles, right? I don't think they need to put up some other sign to represent other groups in order to be fair. This is manifesting where we're at in our Christian society. Now, it may get to a point where the society is no longer Christian, which we're finding ourselves in a post-Christian. So whether or not, you know, a a leader or a, a sort of public property, governmental property should be putting up Christian signs, I'm all for it, obviously, as a Christian. But I can see the reasoning on the other side and say, hey, well, why not Satan stuff? Yeah. That, and that's but, a- but I think a counter to that is our country is founded on Judeo-Christian principles, so with, we're within our rights to manifest that. But you don't think that using the word – and I suppose that no probably normal person would think this – but using the word Satan and calling yourself the temple of Satan puts you outside the protection of the law or even puts you outside basic common civil decency from other people. That you, okay, you call yourself the temple of Satan, right. but that doesn't mean we're going to – we're at war with you. Yeah, yeah. This is an interesting question because – in my mind, as I think through it, Cy, it seems as if it depends upon what the label is embodying. Okay. So, for example, let's just take a, a, an extreme. Let's say you have a group that gives itself a label of killers of children, yeah. right? Or there's some terrorist group, and they actually believe and try to live out what the label embodies like if the label embodies a message and activity that's going to contravene the natural rights of others right right? and the common good then such groups ought to be silenced such groups ought to be precluded from functioning within society because that's against the common good leaders of society are in charge of the common good so anything that's a threat to the common good they have a a right and obligation to get rid of it, right? So that's an extreme, right? So the, so you come to this issue and you have to ask the question, well, what does the label embody? What are they trying to promote with the label? And given what you see on the website with the Satanic Temple, they don't seem to be promoting ideas and activities that are outright contrary to the common good, to, to the common good, and yeah. violating the natural rights of other individuals, such that would require governing officials to take action and to preclude such an organization from the public square. Yeah. So it's it's sort of a nuanced uh, situation there. You have to ask certain questions and make distinctions, but to, it's, tr- to it's, try to get at what what the label embodies and what they are promoting. But they have created this nuanced situ- nuanced situation intentionally. To create a kind of yeah. a difficulty that society has to work its way around. Right. And that's, uh, and that's and a strategy, really. That's right. And that's given the society that we live in, yeah. right? Where you have a public square where we want to be able to express opposing views without coercion, without oppression, and have a dialogue and a debate, right? Yeah. And rational argumentation. That's a society that we live in. Now, I do think that if you were in a society where it was governed by the supernatural revelation of Jesus Christ as the fullness thereof existing in the Catholic Church, I, I do see that it would be uh, just to make certain laws that's going to be consistent with those 
principles and even govern society based upon supernatural revelation and make certain provisions to where things that contradict that revelation are excluded from the society. But even with that said, in no case can governing officials coerce an individual to publicly confess that supernatural revelation. Ever. And to believe in that supernatural revelation. That would be a violation of the very dignity of the human being that God has bestowed to such an individual. So you're saying, like, if there was a Christian kingdom that was truly a Christian kingdom, it would be okay to outlaw Satanism, but it would not be okay to tell someone... You, you must, must believe. Our faith, yeah, right. right. I, I think, and but the problem is, in our current society, we don't live in that society. No, we don't. So we're having to think through the principles by which we govern society and the kind of society we live in. Yeah. And to think, well, should we allow this or should we not? It, we're having to think differently than if we were living in a Christian govern society. Well, I thought what I'd give you because um, you know you do the you're, you're a philosophical thinker, and they have proposed seven uh, tenets, and so I thought, well, well let's give that some, some you know, a little philosophy. Yeah. You know, let's let's uh, take these as serious tenets and yeah. see if they stand up. So their first tenet. Uh, and I thought I think I'll just read them to you one okay, through seven, sure. and then you can kind of respond. Well, let's let's just go one by one. Yeah, one at a time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tenet number one. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Okay. Well, compassion and empathy is good. Yeah. Toward all creatures within reason. That's good as it stands. But we have to ask the question, what, are, what do they mean by all creatures? Does this include non-rational animals? Yeah. Obviously, we need to have compassion and empathy, empathy toward rational animals, human beings, in accord with reason. But... Are they trying to insert in there that we need to have empathy and compassion toward non-rational animals such that we can never kill them and use them for our own good? Yeah. If that's what they're getting at, then we're going to have we're going to have to disagree and we're going to have to have a debate and a rational argu- or some rational argumentation as to the morality or immorality of killing animals and using them for our own natural goods as human beings. And of course, that presupposes whether a rational animal is superior in kind and in dignity to a non-rational animal such that a rational animal, a human being, could use a non-rational animal for his or her good. And they just don't make that clear. And they don't make that clear, right? But, but let me ask you this. Just as we're going through this, and I and I and it, it strikes me right off with number one, um, there's no authority cited for these. They're just assertions. You should do this. You yeah. should do that. Does that undermine their case that they don't... They don't give us any reasoning towards these. They give us the almost like Thomas Jefferson does as self-evident right. truths. Well, the idea of having compassion and empathy for others, right, especially rational animals, other human beings, that's based upon the principle that we're social animals, right? And we yeah. have to be able to live in a peaceful, harmonious existence. Otherwise, we're going to destroy ourselves. So I think there are certain self-evident principles, uh, philosophical principles that we would come to know in light of uh, philosophical anthropology and the study of human nature that's going to drive some of these tenets, or at least what I would hope these tenets are working toward, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, the the, the tenets themselves probably aren't self-evident. They're not self-evident. They're going to be based upon other principles 
that we come to know philosophically about reality and about human beings in general. Uh, okay, fair enough. Then, so it's okay. I mean, they're saying these are the ones we live by. These yeah, are the tenets now, we live I by. Will that's, say, that's their business. I, I will they say, say that, that some of the things that the tenets embody are known intuitively by human beings. That doesn't right. mean that that's self-evident, but there is a certain intuition that these tenets are working on. Yeah. And then, of course, the job of the philosopher is to try and figure out what is it that grounds those intuitions, if in fact those intuitions can be grounded. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, so let's uh, continue. The, uh, tenet number two from the Satanic Temple. The struggle for justice is ongoing. Well, excuse me, I beg your pardon. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. What do you make of that? We agree that we ought to pursue justice. Yes. We also agree that justice should prevail over laws and institutions. That's okay. In, in this sense, laws and institutions must instantiate and be measured by justice such that if a law contravenes justice, it's no law at all. So notice how justice is the governing standard. It's the yeah. measure by which laws you measure the are law. measured yeah, okay. to be an actual law such that we as human beings ought to obey. If it contravenes justice, we don't have to obey because it's not ordered to our good as rational animals, as human beings. But this is where it gets a little sticky, right? Okay. Because this depends on what your view of justice is. Because justice is the virtue by which we give what is due to others, okay? Mm -hmm. But what is due to others depends upon what a human being is. Yeah. So if we have different views about what human nature is and what a human being is, well, then we're going to have a hard time determining and coming to an agreement on what, what justice, justice is. Fair enough. In other words, what is due to the other individual. So once again, this idea of justice, yes, we ought to pursue it, but that's going to your idea of justice and what is due to the other is going to depend upon how you think about what a human being is. But it does give one kind of hope, like even if you say there's a lot that's just left undefined here, this is a good entry point for dialogue. Well, a lot of people won't enter a dialogue about justice. At least they're the, not moral relativists. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, which is like the rest of society. At least okay. on the surface, it doesn't seem to be. Maybe uh, when you dig down to what then, human then nature is, there, is a moral is, there might be a moral yeah. relativism. Yeah. Uh, uh, tenet number three, one's body is inviolable. Subject to one's own will alone. Yeah, this one uh, is a little bit more problematic. So okay. if they mean by this that we ought to be able to pursue happiness as we perceive it within the boundaries of reason without contravening the common good, boundaries, in other words, that protect the common good, then we would agree. Like we ought to be able to direct our activity in such a way that's free of coercion as long as we're not contravening or threatening the common good. If this means that we ought to be able to do what we want with our bodies without any sort of influence from others, well, then we would disagree. I think we all can affirm that it's okay for a police officer to try and grab an individual who's about to jump off of a bridge and commit suicide, right? Yeah. Or to... Uh, I don't know it, if we all would agree with that. Frankly. I don't know. Maybe not. I, yeah. yeah. Right. Or, or to stop another individual who's trying to kill themselves or slice themselves. Right. Uh, I think most reasonable people who have moral intuitions would agree that in those circumstances, we can stop an individual from doing that. Yeah. Uh, 
And if you don't, then we're going to have to talk about that a little bit more and have some debate about that. If this means that there's no moral standard whatsoever that my will is subject to, like I can do whatever I want with my body and whatever I do with my body makes it right because that's my will is the my own Simon moral charge. standard, yeah, right? right? If that's what they mean by this, then of course we would disagree because that's just the essence of moral relativism, yeah. right? That there is no objective moral standard that we must conform to. If that's what this means, if this is more relativism, well, then the individual's will reigns supreme. So we would disagree there. And, and of course, if this is being asserted to like justify abortion. Which kind of, you, you hear it they, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, we would disagree because the baby in the mother's womb is not the mother's body. It has its own distinct body. And it's an individual person who has natural inalienable rights to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right, as stated. And so we would disagree that a mother cannot kill her baby in her womb right. in the name of, I can do whatever I want with my body. It does seem to me that this tenet among all of them is the most satanic in that the the uh, the the elevation of my will and denies my creatureliness and that's the most satanic thing. Yes, because say, pride is manifesting itself. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, that I'm not a creature subject to the will of God, my Creator. That is all. correct. Yep. Uh, um, you, that's a good insight there. Yeah. Uh, tenet number four: the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Yeah, it just depends on what they mean by freedom to offend. Now, they do say unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another, and we would agree with that, right? That we ought to allow others to pursue the natural goods that nature orders us to for human happiness without unjust encroachment, right? Yeah. That we ought to allow—I mean, this is— this follows from our very nature as social animals. Uh, now, also, too, if this means that we should be able to express our views that might upset someone who disagrees, then we agree as well, right? We Christians really, really agree with that. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I would hope that if they mean that, that they're going to allow Christians to express their views, their own, our own views as well, even though it may upset them. Right. And that we ought to be able to express those views without unjust encroachment. And so now, if they mean that we can offend in any way, right, we should respect um, freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. If yeah. they mean by to offend in any way, like doing violent harm to someone, well, then, of course, we would disagree with that. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, tenet number five, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care never to distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. There's no contention there, right? Uh, we, we affirm it's that— It's interesting. I think they think that we would contend with them on that's this That's right. One, but we don't contend with At them. At least not Catholics, yeah, right? right? Maybe some non-Catholic Christians might, you know? Maybe yeah. there are some Christians out there who might, but for sure, surely not Catholics. We affirm science to be a legitimate tool to know reality. Uh, however, I think maybe perhaps there's an implication here of scientism, that science is the only tool. And yeah. if, if that is what's driving this tenet, then we would debate that proposition. Science is the only legitimate tool to know reality, because although it is a legitimate tool to know reality, it's not the only tool. 
legitimate tool to know reality. We can employ philosophy to come to know some things about reality that are true. And so we affirm what it's saying that science is a way to understand the world. We should never try to distort the facts to fit your own belief. That's correct. You should always conform your mind to what you discover to be real. Right. Right. Whether that be by way of science, modern science, or by way of philosophy, or by way of divine revelation. Uh, they might argue with you on the divine revelation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we are up to tenet number six of the satanic temple. People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. Have no qualms with that. No, we that's... are fallible. And if we make a mistake, we should try to um, rectify it. And if we cause any harm, try to make up for that harm. Uh, so we agree. People are fallible. But here's, here's something that perhaps might be an underlying uh, assumption here may, or an implication, underlying implication. Maybe they're trying to imply that you cannot know anything infallibly. Right. So, so no, it, no, that's not what they're that's saying, not what but they're that saying, might be implied here. But just for our listeners, if that is the case that is implied, we have to remember there, there are some things that we can know with infallible certitude, even by way of philosophy. So, for example, the principle of non-contradiction, something cannot both be and not be in the same respect, same place and time. We can show how the denial of that proposition leads to logical absurdities, okay, right. and how you cannot refute that principle without using that principle, which tells us it's a rock solid principle that yeah. describes the way the world really works. And that's something we can know with metaphysical certainty. Okay. So yes, we are fallible and we're going to make erroneous judgments on some things, but that doesn't mean we can't know some things with infallible certitude. Yeah. And then of course, people left to themselves can be fallible or fallible, but what if God becomes man and makes a certain promise to guard and guide certain leaders of his church and to protect them by the power of his spirit from teaching Aaron in an official way, in definitive ways. I think that did happen. I think it did happen <laughs> in the Catholic Church, right? And so maybe perhaps that's what's sort of going on with this tenet, right? Saying, yeah. well, they, all men are fallible, so there's no such thing as this infallible Catholic Church thing, right? Oh, well, yeah. That, well, right. that's that's considering man left to himself, but if there is divine power, right, and divine, quote-unquote, intervention, for my Thomistic friends out there, you know what I mean, <laughs> there's quabbles, quibbles about that, but if there is div divine influence, well, then a human being could be infallible in his teaching because he's not left to himself, it would be by divine protection. Uh, one thing that I sh that's striking here is you, you're fallible, you make mistakes, rectify the mistakes, resolve the harm, but there's no, uh, it would seem to me that the next logical sentence that should be there is, and forgive the person who seeks th that repair, but there's no, there's no, oh, that's interesting. There's no call to forgiveness. It's yeah. just the person who messed up needs to fix it. There's no call to forgive that person. Yeah. Which... Well, well some, I mean, sometimes, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's an interesting question to ponder. Like, if I make an honest mistake, I suppose we do say, I'm sorry for that mistake, but there was no malicious intent. So is there anything really to apologize for? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's but, a good yeah, question yeah. to ask. I'd have to think about that one. Somewhere. All right. Tenet number seven. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. 
Nobility in action and thought, that's a good thing. Amen to that. Amen. But once again, nobility is going to be determined by how you view human nature and what constitutes the perfection of human nature. So what does nobility mean? What does that embody? It all depends on how you view the human being. Now, I'm not sure what they mean by compassion, wisdom, and justice prevailing over the written or spoken word. Perhaps. Well, these are actually written words that they say this. <laughs> so there's a little contra- self-contradiction yeah. uh, there. Perhaps what they mean is that we should give a charitable reading of someone before jumping to a negative conclusion. Okay. And if that's- or perhaps what they mean is scripture. If you have, if you're following a scripture, it's lower than than whatever compassion, wisdom, and justice. Mm. There. Like- yeah, I'd have to I'd have to think about that one some more. But of course, the counter to that would be, well, you have to analyze what is written to see if it embodies compassion and justice. Yeah, right. And if you don't think saying a particular behavior is, if you think saying a particular behavior is immoral is unjust. Well, then we have a more fundamental problem of what is morality and how we ought to pursue the good okay. and evil. And you have a fundamental problem of the idea of justice, right? Yeah. So if they mean charitable reading, I'm all for that. We ought to give somebody charitable reading if it's ambiguous. Boy, that's an interesting principle, right, for us? For us. Catholics at the moment. That's at the moment that we need to consider, <laughs> yeah. right? Don't worry, Satanists. This is an inter-Catholic <laughs> thing. We're just not getting along with one another right And now. so we would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like you said, if they mean that, well, we should reject all inspired scripture or the written word, holy writings for the sake of compassion, well... If there is an alleged, so here's a thought that just occurred to me. If there is an alleged sacred writing from heaven and that writing, that document or the message embodied in the document contravenes what we know philosophically to be true, uh, yeah, yeah. To philosophically yeah. to be compassion and right. justice and truly true wisdom, then we ought to reject Amen. Right. that alleged yeah, sacred writing. That's if a good that's what this. they're getting at, yeah. then we would agree wholeheartedly because one of the ways by which we test and judge alleged revelations to see if they're true or not, from God or not, is to measure it up against what we already know philosophically. Yeah. Because if there's any contradiction, we know it's not true because the author of truth that we come to know philosophically is the same author of anything he's going to supernaturally reveal to us. Yeah. So that's yet another thought that comes to mind, possible way to read that. And right. if so, we would agree with that. Uh, I have to say, going through these with you in particular, uh, you have this certain, like, let's just reason this out quality about you, where I, I tend to be more suspicious of people, like, man, what are we up to here? Well, maybe but, I uh, am embodying <laughs> the principle of a charitable reading. <laughs> there here, you right? go. You are embodying. <laughs> but I do end up, as a Christian person, at the end of it, first of all, I wish people would not use the name of Satan, because Satan is actually a real person. That's correct. And they, they don't know that. They're innocent of that right. fact. But Satan is a real person, and you should stop using his name. Yeah, and from a Christian and, perspective, yeah. that... That Satan embodies certain things from that we believe as Christians actually contradicts authentic human happiness, right? right? And, and, and he hates you. That's right. Like I know that you're using it ironically, but he hates you. And you, so uh, the other thing that I come to as a Christian person is almost—I I think it's Saint Paul somewhere says in in his letters, "Let me show you a more excellent way." And mm. I feel like the things you're saying here, given the right reading. 
we'd agree with all these. Maybe given the charitable reading. Yeah, given the, the most charitable reading. Yeah. We, we could agree with almost every utterance here, except maybe the assertion that my will right. it, it doesn't have a will over it. Cool. Other than that, but that Christianity is a more excellent way because of the person of Christ and his teaching which is shocking, love one another as I have loved you, that that goes beyond any um, kind of natural law or nobility you can come to on your own. Love one another as I have loved you is the most excellent way, and it will just make you happy if you follow it. That is correct, because it's supernatural. It's something that perfects nature and elevates nature and allows for us to operate in our intellect and will as human beings on a supernatural level to experience the very love of God, the very life of God. And that is our ultimate destiny, to experience that life and perfection on the other side in what we call heaven. Thank you, Carlo. I think we'll just leave it right there. That's good. You couldn't end it in a better spot. Thank you so much, Carlo. Without being dismissive of people's beliefs, it does seem that as the world de-Christianized, sometimes intentionally de-Christianizes, sometimes people are just raised without any exposure to Christian truths nowadays. There's more and more searching uh, for a center and a meaning and a purpose and a group with which one can express the meaning and the purpose of life. And so more and more of these things are going to pop up and we're going to have to just uh, deal with them. I do think it does us no good to deal with them in a histrionic way. The best thing to do Take them seriously, engage with people on a serious level, because there is nothing better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There just isn't anything better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you want justice and nobility and all the other things that, you know, whatever the fancy words are that the group is using, the way you get those things is by engaging with the love of God in Jesus Christ. So I don't think we have anything to fear. I think we can take these uh, movements quite seriously. Uh, in some cases, perhaps uh, more seriously than they'll get treated in other media outlets because we're safe in the gospel. We're safe in the gospel and we can engage with anybody on the level of ideas. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to send us an email, just send it to focus at catholic.com, focus at catholic.com. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you will be notified when new episodes are released. Also, if you give us that five-star review, helps to grow the podcast. And on YouTube, just growing and growing and growing on YouTube. We're super happy with that. And if you like and subscribe, you help us in that process. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. This is Catholic Answers Focus. We're delighted every time you join us. We'd love to hear your ideas for future episodes. You can send those too to focus at catholic.com. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here.